requests and our praises that, Father, you would be honored in everything that is said and done. We come to you this morning trusting you, Father, with these needs, these people. Um, So, Father, we're just laying it before you and asking that you would resolve conflicts, heal bodies, provide needs, whatever it may be. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You know, one of the biggest problems, it seems like, in marriage, whenever you talk to people, it's always a communication problem. They just can't seem to connect. They can't seem to talk about things. They can't seem to deal with issues on their own, so they end up in counseling. Uh, years ago, I went to a, some courses in counseling, and they were talking about the four rules of communication. And this is what I've been sharing with you. If you were with us about three weeks ago, we got the first two of these talked about. And what I'd like to do today is to talk about the next two. And it has to do with any relationship that you have, these will apply um, in dealing with people of any, in any situation. But what I'm doing in this little part of this series in Ephesians is trying to make the application just to marriage. So I'm going to be dealing with it from that perspective. Now, you may not be married. You may be divorced. Um, again, wherever you are in life, these principles, these rules, if you will, these guidelines for communication are going to apply, especially if you are a young person who is yet to be married. These are things you're going to need to know before you enter into a relationship with another individual. So pay attention to these um, and try to understand where they are, what they are and um, where I'm coming from with them. And if you can know these ahead of time, they will save you a lot of uh, a lot of problems, I believe, when dealing with other people, but especially within a marriage. Now, let me review for a moment, because a couple of weeks ago, we talked about these rules, and we we were pulling them out of first out of uh, Ephesians chapter four. Now, we had gotten to chapter five. We had talked about marriage, husband's responsibility, wife's responsibility, and the application of those things. But before we left that, I wanted to go back and bring this into marriage and talk about it as it applies. Uh, The last time we were together, I gave you the first one of these rules, which was to be honest. To be honest, because it talks about in Ephesians that you speak truthfully one with the other. And we were talking about what that meant. Well, obviously you don't lie to each other as husband and wife. But also you don't omit things. You don't uh, leave things um, you know, it's sort of the one you lied by, by not saying anything. That can be damaging in a relationship. But one of the biggest areas where we tend to break this one is when we get angry at our spouse and we just clam up. We don't say anything. You see, the instruction in Scripture is that you speak the truth, you know, and that you speak truthfully to one another. But what happens in a relationship, one person will become angry, upset, and then they just say, well, nothing's wrong. You know, just leave me alone. And they'll, they'll give you the cold shoulder and won't talk. Well, that's not right, and that's not dealing with the situation. But again, some of you have experienced that firsthand. You've gone through it. Here's the second one that we talked about a few weeks ago, and that was to keep current. And in this one, we were looking at the passage where it talks about, then, in your anger, don't sin, but deal with things. Don't let the sun go down before you deal with this. And the point was that you don't let problems go. You don't let them grow to be something bigger than what they are. You don't let them become worse than what they are. You deal with them. So as painful as it may be sometimes to 
have to sit down and talk about a problem or something, some hurt in your life, anger that you're feeling, whatever it may be, there, need, there needs to be a, a pretty quick uh, confrontation on this as far as dealing with that. Don't let it go because it just festers and bit, turns to bitterness and all kinds of problems. So we talked about those uh, a few weeks back, and I'm not going to go back and rehash those. I just wanted to kind of bring you up to speed. I wanted you to look with me, though, as I read these next several verses. In Ephesians 4, 29 through 32, and in these verses here, we find the next two rules for communication. Let me read it to you. It says this, starting in verse 29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, uh, in Christ God forgave you. So here's the next two. So listen to them very carefully, okay? Rule number three is this. You attack the problems and not your spouse. You attack the problems and not your spouse. That's easily said, more easily said than done sometimes because the initial response is that you, you're the problem. The person is the problem. That's usually not the case. And it usually has to do with the way we respond to things. We need to focus on solving the problem and not getting even. Solving the problem and not seeking vengeance. Solving the problem and not holding bitterness against your, your spouse. And so dealing with the problem, and let me read again just verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now apply this to marriage, okay? Think of it in terms of marriage. Unwholesome talk, he says, don't let that come out of your mouths. Well, what does that involve? Well, it could be anything that doesn't build up another person. Here's some examples. You cuss somebody out. Some of you have been in marriages where verbal abuse was a constant. You were always being cussed out, called names, told you were worth nothing. Everybody, every time something occurs that you are blamed for, then they just begin to list your faults. Everything that you've ever done that's wrong, every weakness that you have, they bring it up again. All of these things fall into this category of unwholesome talk because they're not doing anybody any good. Now, they may make you feel better as the one who's saying it. Boy, I'm going to get you type thing in a marriage. But that never does anybody any good. And even though it may make you feel better for a moment, it's very selfish. And in the end, you're going to feel terrible for having said it. So what do you do then? Well, he tells us in this passage... You use words that are, according to this verse, first of all, helpful. How does what you're saying help this person in this situation? Do they understand the problem? Do they understand the issues? Probably not if all you've been doing is cussing at them and fussing at them, calling them names. He said it should be something that builds up the other person, not tears them down. But I don't want to build them up. I'm mad at them. Well, that's not the issue now, is it? The issue is that you're going to have to respond in a way that is 
in line with Scripture, not according to the way you feel. And so building them up is very, very important. And this also says according to their needs, things that benefit them. So here you are in a marriage and you've got an issue. There, there's been hurt. There's been anger in a marriage. And God says, now before you deal with this, you need to understand what the problem really is. The problem is this, whatever it may be. Words that were said, things that were done. The target is not your spouse. And when everything is said and done, in the end, you better not tear that person down. Now, here's a verse, and it's here in this chapter, and um, it is in chapter, it goes back to verse 15 of chapter 4, and it says this. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love. Now, that's kind of in the middle of a thought there, but the point is this. There's a verse in the scripture that says that you and I are to be truthful with one another and speak the truth, but do it in love. Now, see, this is hard. This is hard to do when you've been hurt, when you're angry at somebody, your spouse, to respond to that person in a loving manner with words that are kind or compassionate, that benefit them, that takes into consideration their feelings. And see, we sometimes put the, the, victim, the uh, guilty party and the problem all together and we tack the person. But if you are able to separate those two and the two of you together are then able to attack the issue that caused it, then you can resolve it. You can get past it. But so often we just um, we deal with the person. Um, there's a, there's a, a verse here in this passage that seems out of place. And I want to go back and look at this verse in this passage and pull it together with the context, okay? It's in verse 30. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, what does that mean, and why is it in the context of this thought here? Now, I don't have a clear-cut answer, but I'm going to give you an answer, okay? I'm going to tell you what I think. It's one of those deals where, okay, that's what the pastor thinks. When you get into your groups tonight, you can talk about what you think. But this is what I think. The thing or the person that's being grieved is the Spirit of God, not the other person. That's important to note. It's as though God is saying, now listen, when you two are going at it and calling each other names and attacking each other, then I want you to know how that makes me feel because that grieves me. What does the word grieve mean? Think about it in your own life. When you've lost a loved one, you've lost a friend, um, somebody has died this close to you, and what you feel, the sense of loss, everything has changed, tearing down of relationships that are no longer there, um, all kinds of things that you go through that you feel. And it's almost as if God is saying to you that when a husband and a wife Go at each other in this fashion. It grieves me. It hurts me. Because here are two of my children that I care about, and I want the best for you, and I want you to grow and to mature and to know me better and all of these things that God wants for us. And we are so angry at each other that all we see is what we want, and we're not helping the matter. And God says, when you do that, you're, you're grieving me. You're grieving me because you're killing the other person's self-respect. You're killing the other person's confidence. 
you're killing the other person's motivation, they're saying just, they just give up. Why not just give up on this relationship? Because it just isn't going to work. You're killing the person's emotional love. I can't tell you how many times people come into my office over my years of ministry and say, we're just not in love. Well, let's go back and find out why. And sure enough, this is part of the problem. They've attacked each other and called each other names and been abusive to each other all of these years. And it's no wonder you don't feel love. And this is what happens. And God says, you are grieving me when you allow this to happen. So the first rule here, um, of, of, I'm sorry, the third, number three, but the first one today, is that you attack the problem and not your spouse. That's very important. Let me give you some suggestions or helps here. These are six questions that you need to ask before confronting a problem. Something's happened. Something's gone wrong. You are upset with your mate. You are angry. You are hurt. And you feel like doing this. You feel like swearing and calling names, telling them off and and all of these things. That's what you feel like. Here are some things that you ought to do before you ever get to that point. Number one, ask yourself, do I have all the facts? Do I have the facts right? Is what has happened here, am I thinking logically, is this right? Is it accurate? Here's the second thing you ought to be asking yourself. Should love cover this? Should love cover this? Now, what does that mean? Well, let me give you this verse. It's, it's kind of a, a strange verse. It's in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Here's what it says. Listen. He says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. What does that mean? Well, I think this is what it means. That if you are committed to this person and loving this person, person and putting their interests first, then there will be things that are done and said to you, about you, that hurt you and cause problems. But because of this commitment that you have to this person and this love, that your love for them covers over the sin against you. In other words, my love for you, my commitment to you, is going to overlook this human behavior that you've displayed. Now see, that's important because there will be times in marriage where it's, it's, you, you, you're hurt and you have to think this through. My love for this person is everlasting. And I need to step back and there are some things that you can get past. Some things that don't leave you feeling bitter and angry. And in those situations, then don't make a big deal out of it. But that's up to you. That's it's whatever doesn't leave you bitter and doesn't continue to cause you uh, anger or whatever. If it does, you're going to have to face it. But if not, there are things in life that you're just able to say, hey, I love her anyway. I love him anyway. And it's okay. And you just go on. Here's the third question you need to ask, and that is this. Is my timing right? Is my timing right? Um, there are times to talk and times not to. And sometimes you just need to stop and back up and say, okay, we're going to have to talk about this and confront this, but we need to do it at the right time. And you need to be praying for when that would be. But do it soon. Don't prolong. Don't put this off too long. Here's the fourth question, and that is this. Is my attitude right? Is my attitude right? In other words, am I wanting to hurt this person? That's my point here we say well we need to talk about this 
And basically it means you sit down, I'm going to tell you everything you've done wrong and everything that's wrong with you. Well, that's not really it. So what's your attitude like in this? And so you need to check that. Here's the fifth question. Are my words loving? He just told us to speak to each other in a certain way. You need to be able to talk to somebody in a loving way to express honestly your pain. To say, you know, I love you more than anything. But you're making it very difficult. You're making it hard by the way you talk to me and the way you treat me. And I don't want to feel this way. Your words are very important. You're attacking a problem and not the person. Here's the sixth one and the final one. Have I asked for God's help? Now, see, this is critical. Because when you're hurt, the, the last thing you need to do is to speak in that moment. You need to back up and you need to be praying and asking God, okay, Lord, and help me. Help me before I say or do anything. And tell me, you know, leave me when it is the right time and how to say it and what to say. And be asking for God's help in this. Because remember... You're trying to deal with the issue and correct the issue at hand. You're not out for revenge. If that's your heart, then you need to be praying harder because that's what you're trying not to do. Rule number four, the final one, it is this. Act, don't just react. Act, don't just react. Now, this is closely associated with the other one I just gave you, but there's some differences here. We're basically talking about calming down before you say or do something that you can't fix. Our common method of dealing with hurt and pain in a marriage is that we attack, we react without thinking. And what we're saying here is this, that as you slow down and back up, you're going to deal with the problem, but you're just not going to react in such a way that it's going to cause damage. Now, you're confronting the problem and not the person, but you're also backing up and understanding that it's okay for me to deal with this, but just not in a knee-jerk reaction. Because when we do knee-jerk reactions, it's always causing problems. Now, watch the verse. Ephesians 4, verse 31. Apply this now to your marriage. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, these are the usual reactions that people have in a marriage or any relationship where they've been hurt or they're angry. Bitterness. Well, you're just holding a grudge. You're bitter. You're not going to let it go. Rage. You know the Greek word for that is explosion. You explode at the the moment you hear or become aware of this. Your wife wrecks the car calls you up and you explode on the phone. Your husband loses money or doesn't pay a bill and you explode because that's what he should have done. It's amazing the things that just cause us to just lash out in rage. Anger, brawling. Brawling is fighting. Why is it that there are times in a marriage where there is physical abuse? Because somebody is reacting in a hostile manner without stopping long enough to think this through. And sometimes that's what happens. We just explode. We react without thinking. 
Slander, just making up lies. Malice, just desiring that they suffer. You ever been there? I just want this person to suffer because they've hurt me. And in what God is saying in verse 31, it's very simple. Get rid of it. It's unacceptable. Get rid of it. Here's verse 32. These are the proper actions now for the marriage. This is how you should respond. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So think this through. Kindness, being helpful and thoughtful. Your spouse has done something, rather than attacking them and reacting in a hostile fashion, okay, I back up. I understand that there's an issue we've got to deal with. We can't shove it under the rug. We can't hide from it. But at the same time, I need to deal with this issue in a way that doesn't destroy my spouse. And it would be so easy to do. So I will be kind and we'll work on this together. I'll be compassionate and understand that, you know what, that could be me someday. I could have been the one that wrecked the car. I could have been the one that didn't pay the bill. I could have been the one that did whatever the problem is. And I need to show compassion. And I need to forgive. I need to let go of my anger. I need to let go of my wrath, if you will. This is what we do in marriage. We deal with issues. We love our spouses. We're honest. We're not hiding from anything. It's okay to say, you know what, I'm angry. I'm angry at what happened. You know, I, I'm angry because you were texting again when you should have been paying attention and you had a wreck. And let's deal with that. Let's try to fix it so that doesn't happen again. I'm not here to beat you up over that or to make you feel horrible. You feel bad enough already, I'm sure. But we do need to stop it because it's happened numerous times. You're dealing with the issue. and You're not reacting in an ungodly way. What do you do when you're hurt or angry? I want to give you some things to chew on here, okay? Whenever you're in a marriage situation and you find yourself being hurt by the other person, something they said or something they did, and guys, you need to understand, it could, be a, it could be a simple off-the-cuff comment about your weight. How many times has your spouse hurt you because you've got a few extra pounds and they said something, maybe jokingly, but it cut you to the core? When they did something that made you angry and they should have known better, when, when your husband forgets your anniversary, and that's a big thing for you, and you just want to explode because in your mind you're thinking, he doesn't love me, he doesn't care, I'm not important. See, these are issues that cause problems in a marriage. And so what do you do when that happens? Well, let me try to give you some practical steps here, okay? Number one, you need to recognize, admit, and confess. In other words, you're saying, you're admitting that you're angry. You can call it whatever you want, okay? But it's still the same thing. Anger. Hurt. It's okay for you to say, okay, I'm not really hurt. We all, we all say that, you see. Uh, did, that didn't hurt me when it, when it really did. And, and here's the, the instruction. Deal with it. Be honest about it. Call it what it is. 
yes, I'm hurt. I will admit that. I admit that I am angry, but I know I'm going to have to deal with this in the right way. But whatever you do, don't pretend it's not there because it is. Second thing you do is this. You realize that God is at work in this. You realize that God is at work in this. That's a hard thing for us to understand, isn't it? How can God be at work in this? Let me show you something. Remember the story of Joseph in the Bible? Remember Joseph, the young teenage boy, and aggravated his brothers to no end, and they decided they were going to get rid of him because they were jealous. Sold him into slavery. He gets hauled off to Egypt, and one thing leads to another. He ends up in prison. He ends up, you know, finally in the king's court. Years later, years later, his brothers, through an act of God, his family ends up there with him in Egypt. And they realize that it's him, and they're scared to death. They think that he's going to kill them. He's going to get revenge on them for all the things that they did, for, did to him. And here in Genesis, let me read you this verse. In Genesis chapter 50, the story of Joseph. I want you to just look with me at verse 20. He's talking to his brothers. He says this. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph acknowledges this. He said, you guys hurt me deeply. You sold me. You're my brothers. I have, I have gone through hellacious times here in Egypt. But you look back on it and I can see that what God was doing was something that benefited us and everybody else. There will be things in your marriage that you just scratch your head and you think to yourself, this is horrible. This is horrible. But you've got to get past this to to this understanding that God takes our messes and he pulls it all together and in the end he uses something that makes us different and better. Only the sovereignty of God can pull this off. But you and I, if we can begin to understand that it happens and recognize it, we understand that, you know what, and I do this with people who come into the office. They think to themselves, this is about as bad as it can possibly be. I say, as bad as you think it may be, you need to understand this, there's always hope. Because you're a child of God. And God can take the mess that you've created, and he can work it around to where years down the road you can look back at this and say, I'm stronger, I'm better, our relationship is what it should be. And God can do that. And you've got to begin to recognize that. So realize that in all of this, God is still on the throne and God is at work, regardless of what you're going through. Here's the third thing. That you make room for God's wrath. That you make room for God's wrath. Okay. Illustration. Your spouse cheats on you. Your spouse has been unfaithful. And you have been cut to the core. Everything in you says that you want to cut and run. You can't accept it. You're not going to take it, nor should you. But is cutting and running the right thing to do? And in your relationship, you may allow the Spirit of God to take the pain, to take the suffering away from you and deal with the issue Realizing that at the same time, God, in his dealings with your spouse, 
may seek to do something. God may deal with them. His own vengeance, his own purpose, his own reasoning behind it, but God deals with us and our sinfulness. And so you recognize that and you step back and you make room for it and understanding that I, is, I can forgive you, husband, or I can forgive you, wife, but recognizing that there are going to be consequences because God's going to deal with you and I've got to step back and not only allow it, but accept it. See, that's the hard part. And I'll tell spouse, uh, married couples when they come in, I'm saying, you know, look, look they're, they're going to be, there's going to be fallout from this. There's just going to be fallout from this. And you as the innocent party are going to be hurt through this. You need to understand that. But that's the consequences of sin. You need to answer this question. Do I think that God wants me to stick in this relationship or not? As you go through this and you understand forgiveness, as you understand to restore them back to this relationship and to work on this marriage, they say, yeah, I can forgive, but you need to understand there may be God has to deal with that person. And when God deals with them, you may catch some of the fallout from it. I want to show you this verse, the continuing story of Joseph. Making room for God's wrath is Joseph was talking to his brothers. They are scared to death. They are sure that he's going to kill them. In verse 19 of Genesis 50, he makes this statement. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Joseph said, You scoundrels, you deserve it. You deserve wrath. You deserve judgment. You deserve me just letting you have it. But I'm not in the place of God. And I'm not going to do anything. I choose then to love you as family. And that's what he did. Sometimes that's what you're going to have to do also. Expect a God to deal with a spouse that has cheated and been unfaithful. That may happen or it may not. I don't know. But that's God's business. But you need to allow room for it. Here's the fourth thing that I would, I would encourage you to do. To return good for what you think is evil to return good for what you think is evil. Now look at the story again back in Genesis. Genesis 50, verse 21. Joseph now still talking to his brothers. He says to them, So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. He took care of the entire family throughout the famine and for the rest of their lives, as long as he lived. He took care of his family, took care of his brothers. They didn't deserve it. They really didn't. But he did it anyway because he was determined that he wasn't going to act the way they acted and do the things they did, that he would be above it. And so in this relationship with his brothers, then he was able to then return good for what he perceived, and rightfully so, was evil. You know, there's something about giving back an act of kindness to somebody that's hurt you that seems to take the fire out of your anger. It just kind of neutralizes it. I've had people that want to kill each other. And if 
if I can get them to understand, if I can get them to begin to, in small ways, start showing kindness to each other, what happens is their entire demeanor changes. And over time, what they, what they realize is that if I am kind to you, then it comes back to me. And when that does, my emotions and feelings begin to change. And I have to be that person in a marriage. My goodness, you're dealing with two people that are in, you know, living in a fleshly body who are not perfect, who have the Spirit of God within them, but are going to make mistakes. And they're going to hurt each other. And you cannot get into the habit of returning evil for evil, hurt for hurt. You've got to begin to break the cycle and return good for evil. Here's the fifth and final one, and this is very simple. Work to solve your part in the problem. Work to solve whatever your part is in the problem. Whatever the issue is, whatever you're struggling with in your marriage, chances are you probably have something to do with it. Either you did something or didn't do something, and this person has responded, now it's all blown up, whatever. But if you're at fault as you talk, you realize, yeah, okay, I, I acknowledge that. I, I, I'm at fault there, and I did that. See, it's when we start trying to justify and say, well, yeah, but just don't. If you are part of the problem, then acknowledge it and deal with it. All right, the laws are the rules of communication. Number one, be honest. Number two, you keep up, keep current, don't let things go. Number three, you attack the problem and not your spouse. And number four, you, you act, you don't just react. Deal with the issue and not just a normal reaction like we all do. My prayer is that our church, individual families, marriages within our church, that it would grow stronger, that everybody would grow stronger, and that you would begin to love each other, be committed to each other, accept each other, forgive each other, and that whatever you face because of your commitment to your spouse, you will not let it tear you apart. That's what God wants. The strength of the marriage is key, not only to the church but society in general. In this, in this day and age, we're going to have to fight for it, because our children are being taught early on that marriage is not important and marriage doesn't matter. And unfortunately, adults grow up thinking that too. And that is not true. Marriage is very important. And what God wants is for that marriage to be solid and for that family to be strong. And that will depend on mom and dad. Mom and dad, you've got to make a commitment that you're going to deal with your problems in a godly way and let God be honored. That's what we want. I want to take you back before we go to one last verse. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Christ, listen to what this verse says. It's back in the chapter we just read, chapter 4, verse 32. He says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Whenever God looks at you, God sees the sinner. He can't hide it. God sees it. But God says that I love you so much that I will send my son to die for you. And so he, he sent his son. He died on the cross and he laid upon that son, Jesus, all of your sins. 
And when He died for them, He died for your sins as well. All of them. And He turns to you now and He says, when you put your faith in Me, believe that I did that for you. I put you in Christ. And in Christ, you're forgiven. Only in Christ are you forgiven. If you have any questions, you want to talk about that further, my door's open. Just give me a call. I'll meet with you and I'll help you out in any way I can, okay? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, Father, we realize that we are broken and that only through redemption and only through the power of the Spirit can you begin to put back together the brokenness. Father, we sometimes revert back to our old ways. We respond to things our old ways. Father, we hurt our spouses. We sometimes, not even knowing it, sometimes on purpose. Father, may that never be. Lord, help us to be godly husband and godly wife. And may we learn how to communicate and be honest and deal with the problems that we face in life. But always put each other first. To be committed to each other in everything that we do. No matter what happens, we stand together as one. Father, help us to be that kind of Christian. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.